Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Recently, a national cable news network stated that 51% of young Americans say that they feel down, depressed, or hopeless. Like never before, our world truly needs hope. Today, John shares a message of hope from the Bible titled, A Word for the Weary. I was listening to David Jeremiah on the radio the other night. I don't know if you ever hear him preach out in San Diego. He's a wonderful, wonderful pastor and writer. And he was telling a story that I thought was pretty funny. He was telling about a young seminary student who was taking a preaching class. And so the assignment was to write out the full manuscript of a sermon and then to put a good title on it. So he did that, turned it in, and he got a C-. And so when he met with the professor... He said, Professor, I thought I had done a good job. What, what's wrong? He said, well, your sermon was, was okay, but the reason I gave you a bad grade is because the title of your sermon was boring. It was drab. It, it wouldn't bring anybody to church. And the young student said, well, Professor, I'm really not all that creative, and how, what could I do to, to come up with a better sermon title? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you pastor a church in a large city, and your church is seated next to a, is, is placed right next to a major road there, and you have a marquee, a sign on the church, and every week you can put your sermon title. And he said, I want you to imagine a sermon title out there, and then imagine a Greyhound bus driving past your church, and all those people on the bus looking at that marquee, looking at that sermon title, you've got to come up with a title that would cause them to want to get off their bus and come into your church. I'm giving you one week to do that. Come back and meet with me. So a week later, student came back and met with the professor. The professor said, have you come up with a title that you think will cause all those people to get off that greyhound and come into your church and hear your sermon? He said, I have. I've got a title that I think is creative, and I think it will accomplish just that goal. So the professor said, what's the title of your sermon? He said, the title of my sermon is, There's a Bomb on Your Bus. He said, that'll get them off, Professor. That'll get them off that bus and into the church. You know, when I heard Dr. Jeremiah tell that story the other night, I said to myself, you know, when I stand up to preach on Sunday, it just may be that some of the people in attendance will be there because there's a bomb on their bus, and they feel like their life has exploded. Maybe your life has exploded within your family. Maybe your life has exploded financially. Maybe you feel like you've had an explosion in your health or even in your emotions. You feel like at this time in your life that there's a bomb on the bus of your life and that bomb has exploded and here you are today in church and you're wondering, does God have anything to say to me at this time in my life when it seems like everything is going wrong? And the answer to that question is yes, He does. So if you'll take your Bible today and open it to the book of Jeremiah chapter 45 and we're thinking today about those difficult times in life when we've had an explosion of some kind, and we're dealing with the aftermath of that, and we're trying to figure out, well, what are the ramifications and consequences of what I've been through in my life? Now, in Jeremiah chapter 45, we're going to look at the whole chapter. It's only, it only has five verses. This is one of the shortest chapters in all the Bible. And the main characters in this chapter are Jeremiah. He's the prophet. 
He's the one who had been telling the people there in Israel that the judgment of God was about to come on them because of their sin and their disobedience. And he had been warning them, if you don't repent, things are going to get bad here. And they did not listen to his message. Things did get bad. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, burned down the city, and carried most all the Jews into Babylonian captivity. And so things indeed got bad. And Jeremiah is the main character in this chapter. But there's another character that gets our attention today, even more than Jeremiah. And it's a man named Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H, Baruch. He was a friend of Jeremiah a contemporary of Jeremiah, but his role was he was Jeremiah's scribe. In other words, when Jeremiah had something that he wanted to have written down, he would call Baruch in, and he would say, Baruch, get out that scroll and get out your pen. I've got a word from God, and I need you to write it down. And Baruch was a faithful scribe. And so he's just been writing down these words from Jeremiah, which all those words were were words from God. And as, Jer- and as Baruch is listening to Jeremiah tell him what God has said, he's writing all this doom and gloom and judgment and Babylonian captivity and all this down. And after a matter of time, it began to depress Baruch. He got discouraged because everything Jeremiah said was depressing. Jeremiah himself is known as the weeping prophet. God gave him a message to preach that was so negative and so powerful that it broke Jeremiah's heart. Well, it had the same effect on Baruch as he's writing this down. Just to give you an idea of how wicked Israel, and especially Judah and Jerusalem, how wicked they were at this time, the king at that time was a man named Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim had nothing to do with God. He lived a rebellious life, and he led the people away from God as well. And on one occasion, Jeremiah gave Baruch some instructions to go to Jerusalem, to go in the temple, and to read from the scroll that he had himself written, the word from God, and so to read the warning to all the Jews there in Jerusalem, judgment is coming. If you don't repent, judgment is coming. And so Baruch did that. Here he goes into the temple, and he unrolls the scroll, and he begins to read, to all, just like this, it'd be just like this setting today, to all the people there, if you don't repent, if you don't get right, if you don't turn to God, turn away from your idols and straighten up and live right, God is going to judge our city, and God is going to carry us away into Babylonian captivity. He read that message. Well, as the message was read to the temple, some listening to that said, the king himself needs to hear this message. Take this message to the king. And so Baruch did that. He was taken into the presence of the king, and Jehoiakim got a copy of the scroll. He heard it being read, and he said, let me see that for myself. And he got a copy of the scroll, and he began to read the doom and gloom. And no king wants to hear that their nation is coming unraveled at the seams. Kings and leaders want to minimize problems, not maximize them. And so the king didn't want this word to be out. And so the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 36 that he got a knife and that he started cutting the scroll in pieces. And then he took that scroll that he had cut up, and he threw it in the fire, and the scroll was burned. And so Baruch went back to Jeremiah, told him what had happened, said, I I did what you told me. I read the word. I even went and took it to the king, and, and the king cut the scroll up, and the king threw it in the fire. And Jeremiah, in essence, said, don't worry about that, Baruch. We'll start all over again. Get another scroll, and get another pen, 
And I'm going to tell you what I told you before, except this time I'm even going to give you some more words to write down. How many of us have learned in life that you cannot extinguish the Word of God? Oh, Jehoiakim thought if he burned that scroll, it'd all be gone, but you can't extinguish the Word of God. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. And that's what happened. But still, Baruch was was depressed. He was discouraged. He's looking at his nation that he loves so much, and he's thinking, we have fallen completely apart, and bad things are about to happen. And so there's where we pick up, and let's read in Jeremiah chapter 45. Let's just look at the first four verses to begin with. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this is the message from God to Baruch through Jeremiah. O Baruch, you said, Woe is me, for the Lord, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. I wonder today... How many here could say, those words describe me? That's how I feel. It's just like grief has been added to my sorrow. I feel like emotionally and mentally and spiritually and maybe even physically that I'm about to faint and pass out, and I find no rest for my soul. Well, that's how Baruch was feeling. He was discouraged. And in verse 4, we read, thus you shall say to him, God is saying, Jeremiah, here's what you shall say to him. Thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built I will break down, and what I have planted, I will pluck up. That is the whole land. And so when Baruch heard that, he's thinking, well, this is the same message again. This is what God's been saying all along, that he's going to destroy this nation. He's going to judge and even punish the people here. And he said, what I've planted, I'll pluck up, and what I have built, that I will break down. Now, beginning in verse 5, God had a very specific word for Baruch. Now, he had told him what he was going to do in the country, but now he has a specific word of instruction. And it's interesting as we read verse 5, this is our key verse this morning, what God is really saying to Baruch is, he's saying, Baruch, there's something I want you not to do. There's something you don't need to do. And then he said, there's something that I want you to look at a little bit differently. You know, so many times in life, when we're going through difficulties and problems, if we can just have somebody to help us to look at it differently. Somebody has said that life is 90% what happens to us and 10% how we respond. And so if we can just change our focus, change our perspective, doesn't mean the situation is going to change. In fact, more than likely, the situation is not going to change, at least not in the short term, but we will change if we can look at it differently. But let's look at the beginning of verse 5, what God told Baruch not to do. He said, and do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Now, to me, that's a strange thing for God to tell a man who's depressed. You would think that God might uh, have, have given some other word of instruction. But here he says, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Why would God have told Baruch that? More than likely, the reason is because Baruch is now, he's Jeremiah's assistant. He's known within the city of Jerusalem. He has all kinds of connections. He loved his homeland. And he may have been thinking, hey, 
Maybe in the future, I can advance. Maybe in the future, I can become great. Or maybe in the future, I can accomplish things I haven't accomplished up until this point. And God says to him, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. What was God saying? God was saying to Baruch, Baruch, at this time in your life, what you need to do is you need to make a fresh commitment to glorify me with your life, not to try to pad your own ego or to inflate your, yourself. You need to, to focus instead on glorifying me with your life. Do you, you know, sometimes if somebody can tell us what not to do, by implication, we know what to do. And here when God said, do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. What is God saying? He's saying, Baruch, seek to honor me. Seek to bring glory to my name. Don't seek to make a name for yourself. You see, this has always been part of the problem, at least in Old Testament times, with the people of God. They were always trying to seek a name for themselves. They were always trying to be great. We go back to Genesis chapter 11 when the people got together and they said, let's build a tower that will go up into the heavens and we can make a name for ourselves. And God looked down from heaven and God said, what are these people doing? They're building a tower so that they'll be great and they can make a name for themselves. And God destroyed the tower and God confused the languages, the Tower of Babel. Uh, it was, was what that was called because of God t made all their languages sound like Babel. No one understood what anybody, anybody was saying. But there's a principle in Scripture, and Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 23, that if we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. But if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. And here's what God is saying to Baruch. Do, do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. Now, that first part of this verse is a, is a powerful, powerful thing that God is saying. And I, I even wonder today, is there anybody here in this room, anyone listening at home today, and the truth be known, the desire of your heart is to be great. The desire of your heart is to be known. The desire of your heart is to be recognized. The desire of your heart is, is to accomplish something so that, that people could brag on you and pat you on the back. And I'm telling you today, and God is telling all of us today, that attitude is repulsive to God. Any exaltation will ultimately be met with resistance from heaven. And those who lift themselves up, God will bring them down. It was that sin of pride that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. We read in Isaiah chapter 14 that Lucifer, the beautiful angel in heaven, as he was watching all these other angelic beings worship God, he became envious of God. He became jealous of God, and he wanted to be worshipped like God was being worshipped. And we read in Isaiah 14 that on multiple occasions, he said, I will exalt myself. I will make myself like the Most High God. I will be worshipped like God is worshipped. And God looked over and saw this from Lucifer, and God said, you're exalting yourself. I have no choice but to humble you. And God not only humbled him, he kicked him out of heaven, and that's when he became the devil. But the point is, when we're going through difficulties in life, the first thing that we should try to do is to, is to look for ways to honor God and to glorify God in our difficulties. On Wednesday night, I was telling the, the Wednesday night crowd about how God used, and, and maybe this is the reason I'm preaching this sermon this morning, because this 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 first part of this verse has been in my spirit ever since Wednesday night. God, God used this verse in a great way in a man's life. Many of us have heard of Oswald Chambers. 
the great devotional writer. He wrote my utmost for his highest. You may or may not know the, the story of Oswald Chambers. He was born in Scotland. He was saved when he was 16 years of age. His father was a pastor. And he was well-connected in, in that part of the world. And when he was about 16, 17 years of age, he began thinking about what he wanted to do with his life. He loved music. He loved the arts. There were great universities there in Scotland. And so he said to himself, well, what I want to do is I want to go to, to one of these universities, and I want to study music. I want to study the arts. And, and, and he was just, I mean, most of us have been guilty of this, at that, especially at that age in life. He was thinking about what he might could do in life to make a name for himself so that he could be great. And so one day he's in Scotland and he's walking across the street just to tell you how God can take his word and just apply it to our hearts. And he's thinking about his own life. He's not thinking about God. He's thinking about his life and his dreams and his desires and what he wanted to do. And as he's walking across the street, the Holy Spirit of God spoke this word to Oswald. And God said to him, Oswald, do you seek great things for yourself? That question itself, it got Oswald's attention because he knew that he was. And God said, seek them not. And Oswald Chambers said, in that moment, when God gave me the first part of Jeremiah 45, uh, verse 5, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. He said, in that moment, it was like my whole life was changed. And I knew that I could not pursue the things that I wanted to pursue, that instead I would have to go in the way that God wanted me to go in my life. And so here's a young man who had his whole future in, in store for him. And so what he did, instead of going to one of those prestigious universities, he went to a Bible school, that, a little Bible institute, really, that nobody had ever heard of. It had no prestige at all. But he went there, and he began to study the Bible. And then World War I started. And after World War I broke out, he went to the YMCA, and he became a chaplain for the YMCA. And he moved from Scotland. The YMCA assigned him to go to Egypt. And so he and his wife moved to Egypt. And he's living in Cairo, Egypt. And he's teaching troops. Now listen to this. From Australia and New Zealand about God. And the troops would come to his tent. And he would do little Bible studies. And, and again, nobody knew Oswald. And his friends back in Scotland were thinking he's lost his mind. He had such a great future. Now he's gone to this little school nobody's ever heard of. He's working for the YMCA. He's in Egypt. He's helping troops during the war. And they're, think, and they're thinking, this man, he's wasted his life. At 43 years of age, Oswald Chambers died of an appendicitis attack. He died, 43. Nobody had heard of him except the few troops that he had ministered to. And a few years after his death, his wife had the idea, what I should do is take Oswald's writings, his teachings. Some of those things he was teaching those troops were so good. What I need to do is I need to put those together in some organized way, and maybe others could be blessed by what my husband taught. And so she took all of his notes, and she put them together, and what she put together became my utmost for his highest, the greatest devotional book in the history of Christianity. And so I'm saying that to say all of that began when Oswald Chambers got this word from God, do you seek great things for yourself? And God says if you answer yes to that, the answer is do not seek them. Did you know when I was in seminary, I had finished my master's degree and I was in the process of 
starting the Ph.D. program there at Southwestern. I was applying to the program. I knew the professors. My grades weren't great, but they were good enough to get in the program. And I was going to go and do the Ph.D. And as I was in that process, I lost all peace about pursuing that degree. And I went and talked to a professor that day, and I said to the professor, I said, I just don't, for what some reason, I don't feel peaceful about pursuing this Ph.D. You know, a Ph.D. is, is, the, is the Cadillac degree in, in higher education. Dr. Bill Toler, who used to be the interim pastor of our church and for many years taught at Southwestern Seminary, he, he was just a godly, godly man. He said, you know what Ph.D. stands for? He said it stands for piled higher and deeper. And he said, finally, when you know virtually everything about nothing, you get a Ph.D. It's such a focused degree. And I'm meeting with my professor about this. And he, said, and he was a godly man I was meeting with. But here's what he said to me. And he was being honest. But when he said it in my spirit, it just didn't sit. He said, John, if you will get a Ph.D., there's no limit to how many doors that degree will open for you. He said, you'll graduate with that, and you'll begin your ministry, and, and you'll have on your resume that you have a Ph.D., and other pastors on their resume, they won't have that, and these pulpit committees will see that you have a Ph.D., and I'm telling you, that Ph.D. will open doors for you, and it'll get you in the best churches out there. Well, while I knew there was truth in that from a human perspective, in my spirit, that just didn't sit right. And it was like God in that moment spoke to my heart. And God said to me as clearly as God spoke to Oswald Chambers walking across that street in Scotland, is like God said to me, John, the purpose of a degree is not so that doors will be open. The purpose of a degree is to learn what you need to know to serve me. And you need to understand this. If you get that degree and you trust that degree to open doors for you, I'll just let you and that degree go along through life. But if instead you'll decline that degree, if you'll pull yourself out of this program, if you'll tell them you don't want to pursue that right now, you, you'll trust me the rest of your life and I will open doors for you and I will put you right where you need to be. You know, sometimes even as Christians, we trust Christians, other Christians, we trust people, we trust our connections, we trust who we know, our intelligence, our intellect, our personality, our charm. We trust all of these things to get us where we need to be. And what God is saying to Jeremiah, don't you, or to Baruch, don't you trust any of that. You trust God and you seek Him. And I'm saying today, there's a principle in the Bible that if we'll exalt ourselves, God humbles us. But if we'll humble ourselves, then God will exalt us. Do you seek great things for yourself? And he says here, do not seek them. Don't do it. Don't seek those things. Instead, you seek God, and you seek to bring honor and glory to God. But I'm saying that story today about that degree to make the point. Don't you see? Even in the church, even with godly Christian people, how if we're not careful, we can become just as secular and just as carnal and just as prideful as the unsaved world. And we can put our faith in all those other things instead of just saying, God, I, I, I know you. I serve you. I work for you. You open the right doors. You close the wrong doors. You get me where I need to be. And we're going to just try. And that's what happened in the life of Oswald Chamber. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But before we go, I would like to ask you, 
Are you seeking what the world has to offer? Or are you looking for peace that only can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you like to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond as we conclude the message, A Word for the Weary.